assurance of salvation, where we're going to ask the question, how do I know that I know that I know that I'm saved? How many of you have ever asked that question just even in your heart? I'm I'm hoping that you came here having experienced a little bit of this in your life, um, because that's why we're going to look at the word of God to get help on this topic. Guys, come on down. Come on down. Yes, I love it, but come closer so I can have you nice and near and feel like we're all a family in the living room hanging out together. I'm going to pray because uh, this can be like a little bit of a vulnerable topic. Um, and so let's go to the Lord and ask for his help. Lord, thank you so much for camp that gives us opportunities to focus in a concentrated time on you, your word and relationships with others that help us to love and draw near to you and be more useful in your work. And I pray, Lord, that this breakout session would serve the purpose uh, that you intend for it and that everyone who came into this room may be some with great burdens, um, with doubts and difficulties that they're facing in their life uh, would have answers from your word and from you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move and work and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Nice move, Ricky. Ricky on the drums, everybody go. Yeah! Yeah, give it up. All right. Okay, so how do I know that I'm saved? There's a big lie that we need to kind of get out of the way up front, and you might know what it is. You know what that lie is when it comes to doubts in our salvation? What's a lie that you believe that leads you down that path? Staff and students can interact. Come on. What's the lie? There's so many. Say it again. Yes. And that's the big one that we need to just get out of the way. You know why? Salvation is forever. We're going to say that together. Okay? Come with me. Salvation is forever. Salvation is forever. By definition. And God makes that very clear. Write down Philippians 1.6. It says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus says in John 6, 37, all that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Once you are his, you are his forever. This is the doctrine of eternal security. It's different than assurance. Okay, so I want to put a little bit of definition here up front. Eternal security compared to assurance. Eternal security is the fact of salvation. None will be lost, God says. Done deal. Salvation is forever. Assurance is the confidence that you have about that fact. Eternal security is the fact of your salvation. Assurance is the confidence that you have about that fact. I think that's helpful. When I teach my girls to boogie board, I I ride with them at first. I have four little girls, nine years old, all the way down to a two-year-old. 
And uh, every single one of them I take them down to South Ponto and Carlsbad. Anybody go to that beach? That's my jam in the summertime. I take my girls down there and I teach them to boogie board. And when we first start, I put my arms around them and I ride the wave together, right? Because they're little. It's like three or four years old. I got them out there on the board. But at some point, I got to let them go. So I take them out there. We wait for the wave. I get them positioned right. I give them a push. And when that good wave comes, I send them. And usually in the beginning of their training, they're going to catch an edge and just go through the washing machine, right? They're going under, tumbling. And for about three seconds, they're under. Uh, and, but, but I'm right there, right? I always try to tell my girls, even when we start the process, like, I'm going to be right there. You're going to be safe. But, but, but they'll go under and, and for a few seconds, because I'm truck, trucking behind them, and then when they go down, that, that's why I grab them, I pull them up to safety and hold them in my arms. They're safe in my arms. But for a three or four-year-old, in those few seconds when that happens, they feel like they're going to die. And they look like it too when I pick them up. <laughs> in those three seconds of tumbling, they're probably thinking to themselves, Dad just sent me to my death. Right? But, but here's the thing. The more that they know my protection of them and the more that they experience my rescue of them as I scoop them up out of the water, oh, then their confidence grows and they can even take some tumbles and be okay. Now, how much confidence do I have that I'm going to save my daughter in that scenario? How much? I'm looking for an answer. A lot. I know I'm going to get them out of the water. I'm not letting them get away from me. But here's the question that we're kind of asking today. How much confidence does my daughter have that I'm going to rescue her? And the answer to that is, it depends. We just talked about some variables and factors that are going through their mind as they learn and grow and they understand my protection and my rescue of them. But there's a process. And in the beginning, when they don't understand the rescue and the safety that they have with me right behind them, they're a little freaked out. And they might even feel like, I'm going to die. The same is true for us. Our Heavenly Father is certain that He will save us. He stamped it by sending His Son to die on a cross and raised from the grave so that sinners like you and me could be saved and salvation is forever. But we don't always share that confidence. Some of us really battle to have that assurance. Maybe that's you. So why do we struggle? And I'm looking for interaction, okay? This is a breakout session, not a big preaching time. What kinds of things would you point to that have caused you to go towards those thoughts of doubt about your salvation? Fear. Fear, fear of what? Okay, thinking about your relationship with God. If he, if he, what if he abandons me? Why, why do you have that fear? Somebody else. Struggle with sin. Anybody else add to that? Okay, 
Okay, so yeah, you gave us a perspective on like the doctrine of Satan and the work of evil. We, we fight a, a spiritual battle, not physical ones, right? It's good. Anybody else? Why, why do we have those? What makes those doubts rush in for you? What are the experiences in your life? Okay, one more time. Times when you're not as passionate. Okay, maybe circumstances kind of cause you to wane in your enjoyment of Christ. What was it? Somebody else thought about that. Yeah, so you kind of both were talking about sort of that complacency thing, right? We get lazy in our um, stirring up of our affections towards God. That's great. So ultimately, maybe the the simple um, word that we can put that often is the thing that drives or that brings about those doubts in your mind is sin, right? We we know, and it's not just sin, but it's you knowing about your brokenness and getting acquainted with it really well. And the longer you you live on the earth, like the Apostle Paul, you're like, man, I am messed up. The longer you live in this broken life, even though saved in Christ even, you're going to see your brokenness and it just gets more and more heavy to you. We know our weaknesses. And then here's the thing that often has caused me to doubt in my walk with Christ is I see the beauty and the majesty and the goodness of God's forgiveness towards me. And then I look at my life in comparison. And I think... I don't know. I mean, why would he save me? But you can know. Okay? Look up. You can know. And God wants you to know. And I want to point you to four areas in your life that you can evaluate in order to answer that sometimes difficult question. How do I know that I'm saved? This is not... And extensive. I mean, there's so much more that could be said on this topic. I'm picking four areas that may be helpful for you as you evaluate your life and get that greater assurance that you're truly in Christ. The first area is love. Love. I'm going to keep them single words so you can really get them. What do you love? That's the question. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul points out that when you become a Christian, you are in fact a new what? Creature or creation. Paul says the old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. John MacArthur on this verse, he believes that these new things, like what are they? What are these new things that come? Old has passed away, new things come? He believes that they are the new affections or new desires that accompany this true salvation that God puts into a sinner. So you want to know if you're truly saved, a real Christian, a new creation? What do you love? What are you affectionate towards? What do you desire? You and I are heart-led people. Any girls in here say amen to that? We're heart-led people. I'm a girl dad, so I have a lot of girl conversations in my life. But, but we, uh, we, we, we go after and we pursue, we live our lives based on what we love, what we value. And it is subjective, isn't it? We don't all love the same thing or we don't all love the same thing at the same level. That's what you're dealing with, with this, this heart attitude towards God and our assurance. 
It's subjective, not only person to person, but also based on your personal value system. I love my wife. I love pizza. I love both of them. There's one that I love more, and it's my wife, of course. Different values that we put on things, and then our affections in our life and our actions follow those desires and loves and values. My kids love ice cream. Do you love ice cream? Okay, I love ice cream, but not like my kids love ice cream. You'd think that they'd want to build a shrine around ice cream, bow down to it every day. You give them the option of a perfectly prepared filet mignon alongside a bowl of ice cream with chocolate and sprinkles over it, ice cream every time. With my four-year-old, her name is Finley, you could put a stack of $100 bills in front of Finley (laughs) alongside that ice cream, and she's picking the ice cream, right? Why? Why? She loves it. Okay? And in her world, in her value system, that ice cream is gold. When God makes you alive together with Christ, that's what Ephesians 2 says, your value system drastically changes. It doesn't all happen at once. It often happens over time. But your value system changes. So you ask, how do I know that I'm saved? And I think the Bible, throughout all these passages that talk about our worshipful heart towards God, the question to you is, what do you love? Do you love God? Do you love his word? Do you love his church, your youth group, being with the people of God? Do you love doing the things that God loves? Listen, I know you have sin. I know you don't do it perfectly. This is about the direction of our affections, not perfection. Ooh, somebody lay a beat. This is about, yeah. So this is about the direction of our affections, not perfection. And don't overthink it. Junior hires, don't overthink it. If your heart is set towards God, if you love the Lord and you love his word and you're grieved over sin, these are affections that are not characteristic of an enemy of God. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more. What specific ways can we assess this love and affection and valuing of God in our life? How might we in our lives evaluate, assess what we value? What kinds of questions can we ask about our lives? Talk about What do you spend your time on? Chris Morlock, killing it. What was that one over here? Same thing. Why don't How much worship? How much worship do you give him and praise? How much effort do you put into it? Okay, how much effort do you put into what? Anything. How much money do you spend on it? Yeah, the other really good one. Your money. Where your money goes. Anybody else? Oh, that was it. I'm going to go here first. Love. What comes first? What does? Oh, asking. What comes first in my life? Good. Drew? 
Well, you spent okay with mind, your thoughts, okay? And I, there was one more. How, how you express him, how you express his um, greatness and his love to others to teach them. Okay. Your, your own heart attitude towards other people. What's that? Okay, your relationships with other Christians. Chris, what were you adding some? I was just saying speech. Your speech, yeah. Oh, that's so good. Because speech comes from the heart. That's what we're dealing with, the heart and the affections. You know one area? Oh, sorry. Go for it, buddy. What do you do during the day? What do we... You, you could come up here and preach my message. Yeah, so time, money, and what I was going to talk on, which is very similar to what he just said, is what are your plans what do you do in a day? Or, or what plans do you make for the future? Near future, long future, long future? I don't think that's a phrase. <laughs> do your plans involve things that honor Christ? Do you prioritize the church, youth group, worship? Do you plan ways to serve other people, serve your friends, serve your family? Do you make plans with your with your parents' approval and counsel so that you can make a decision in life that really honors the Lord. What plans did you have for camp? Could be another question. Great way to evaluate. You know, did you come to grow spiritually, build friendships, be challenged? Or do your plans generally, when you assess, and only you can be honest about your own life, when you think about your plans, do they all revolve around just you, selfish pleasures, stuff you want to get done, ways you want attention to be on yourself. It's a natural tendency. And remember, it's, it's, it's direction, not perfection. We're going to be distracted by being too focused on my plans, what I want to do with my money, what I want to do with my time, okay? But in the midst of that is the direction of your heart, your affections towards what God wants, with those resources that he's given you. So that's one area of self-evaluation that can help you gain greater assurance. What do you love? The second area is humility. I like this one. It is useful for me in my life as a prideful man. Here's the question. Do you have a right perspective on yourself? That's what you're putting under the humility topic. Do you have a right perspective on yourself? Write down Romans 12 and verse 3. Paul says, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. Say that with me. Sound judgment. I'm going to give you one more. Sound. Right. And you're evaluating yourself and you're saying, Okay, I see myself rightly. And the only way you can do that is to know God's truth because he gives us perspective on who we are and who he is. Galatians 6.3 is another good one. Galatians 6.3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The conclusion of that statement is, I am nothing, right? If you think you're something when you're actually nothing, you're just fooling yourself. And I'm thankful in my life, which has been filled with pride and arrogance, God has been loving and faithful to humble me in a lot of different ways. Um, 
If you don't know this, I was an actor for about 20 years. I know I look like I'm 20 years old. <laughs> but uh, for a lot of my childhood, I was in the entertainment industry. And boy, I gained a certain level of notability and fame while I was an actor. It wasn't like movie star level, but I was known. And for those 20 years, I got to tell you, it built somewhat of a complex into me. To this day, I have to do battle with my flesh in order to keep my, my sights on the Lord of glory and to keep him as the supreme place that I put my adoration and worship. Keeping him on the throne and not wanting to take my seat, being visible and being at the, the top and, and well-known. I have to fight that because for sure he deserves all the glory. The older I get, the more the Lord gives me stuff to humble me. Like raising little kids. Morlocks, are you humbled by your parenting experiences? It's like they are so small and so cute. But they're like little tiny bosses that want to own you. They want to rule your life. They want to push you around. And that's just my two-year-old. High school ministry or junior high ministry, for us as staff, you students maybe don't necessarily pick up on all the sanctification that happens in our lives. <laughs> By being in high school and junior high ministry, youth ministry is, is very humbling. And I think the further away that I am from th that age range, the more it is. Like, I, Drayson Fatter taught me what the word bussin' means. <laughs> I, I, I asked him about it because I heard people saying it and I was like, I want to understand what this word means. And so he told me because I was like, I want to look cool in front of the youth. And I'm not joking. I really was wanting to look cool. But when I say things like this food is straight bussin respectfully, everyone just laughs at me. Hallie, I need help. I need help. So, I, yeah, we, we all need help on our staff. That's good, good things that humble us. Two weeks ago, I was getting ready to go on a jog. I'm a runner. I've actually run some marathons, a little known fact. I love, running is like, my, it's my go-to cardio. But anyways, two weeks ago, I went to the street. Oh, this is embarrassing, but I'm just gonna put it out there. I went out to the street in front of my house and I'm stretching on the curb, excuse me, like this, doing one of these. And I'm, so I'm in the street, but not on the sidewalk, in the street, and I'm right next to a parked pickup truck. And I see it when I walk out there, but I pull out my phone and I'm getting my running app ready and getting my playlist going. And I have a little fanny pack that I put my, I know, go ahead, laugh, that I put my phone into when I start my run. And on this particular run, I had done some stretching. I had a lot on my mind. I had done some stretching and I'm also getting older. I had done some stretching and then without looking up, I'm putting the phone in my fanny pack and I run directly into this parked vehicle. Like directly. I told Natalie afterwards, I was like, Nat, I ran into the car and I, and I hit the hood and because I was just slightly above the hood, like the, the, the top of the, I went over the top of the hood and then rolled off the side onto my butt. And she just, Laughed. I mean, hours. It was like hours later I was in my office and I can hear her just like, ah! 
laughing in the kitchen. It was a good laugh. Things to keep us humble. Listen, a true believer knows who they are. And they don't take themselves too seriously. We can't do it. There will be many things that you might be known for in this life. Athletic skill, artistic talent, good with people, great communicator, lots of money, smart. But someone who has been forgiven of their sin sees themselves only one important way. A sinner saved by grace. That's all that matters. Morgan's messages have been so clear. I love Morgan's preaching. They have been so clear and they've laid out what the reality is of who man is. Our spiritual state, we're dead apart from the work of Christ in us. When you experience that resurrection power, that raises you from the dead It raises you from that hopeless, despicable existence and you get seated alongside Christ having deserved none of it. How in the world do you fight to get glory for yourself? Now again, direction, not perfection. I want to keep that in front of you, okay? I know you deal with pride. I know you sometimes want that attention. Join the club. But if you've come to the realization that you were dead, but God, rich in mercy, made you alive and you've repented and placed your trust in him, that humbles you up. And you want him to get all the glory. Don't take yourself too seriously. Don't spend time building your brand, your likes, your following. Don't waste your breath on talking about yourself all the time in every conversation. You're just not that big of a deal. Okay? And I'm in the same boat. And more importantly, there is one who is worthy of all praise and all glory. And when you put all the focus on you, you're stealing from him. And he deserves it. John 15, 5 is such a great uh, verse that gives us perspective. It's Jesus who gives us a picture. This is a great illustration. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Did you hear that? I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus talking to us, his disciples. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Now listen to the illustration. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. On the one hand, he doesn't say, I am the vine, you're the manure down at my roots. Okay, there's a balance to this. Some of you who sometimes go into that spiral and you're just self, you know, the the whipping of yourself and saying, oh, I'm this loathsome, I'm worthless. Now, wait a second, you're the branches. He also doesn't say, I'm the vine, you're just another vine that grows next to me. No, we're the branches, okay? That apart from the vine, yes, can do nothing. But part of the vine, you're connected to him, then the vine's life flows through us and we grow and we serve a variety of purposes all to put the vine on display, to bring him glory. 
How do you know that you're saved? How do you know that you know that you know? What do you love? And do you have a humble perspective on who you are? Number three, I think I got to cook now. John 14, 15 says this. Oh, I got to give you number three. Number three, (laughs) obedience. Love, humility, obedience. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will what? Do you know the verse? You'll obey. Jesus says, you'll keep my commandments if you love me. How do I know that I'm saved? Do you joyfully come under? This is key. It's not just obeying his commands. It's first that you're coming under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Do you obey his word? Remember, salvation is forever. Let's say it together again. (gasps) Salvation is, it is forever by definition. So that's a done deal because salvation is a work of God. Nothing you've done to save yourself, but the true believer is an obedient believer. When that transformation takes place, your actions change. Your heart attitude changes. Direction, not perfection. Failing to obey is normal Christianity. Did you hear me? Failing to obey is normal Christianity when it's followed with a response to that failure that says, I'm a sinner, please forgive me. And then, again, direction of your life is going towards him. You're loving him. You're humble about who you are. And you want to obey him because you love him. David, in Psalm 51, after he sins with Bathsheba, murders her husband and lies to cover it all up. He comes before God with a broken and contrite heart. That's what Psalm 51 says. And he cries out, against you and you only have I done this sin. David was a man after God's own heart. Did you hear the list of his failures? And there's more. Adultery, murder, lying. Straight to hell, right? Man after God's own heart. So that when he failed and God brought him to his knees, he was broken, he repented, he entrusted himself to God. That's a beautiful picture of direction, not perfection. Ultimately, because he loved the Lord and he loved his law, when he transgressed, he was broken and repentant. How do you know that you're saved? How do you evaluate the genuineness of your salvation in Christ? Are you surrendered to his lordship and are you coming under his commands? True believers have live with an attitude of submission and it will be seen in all areas of life. You can check this out in your own life as you assess How do I submit to my parents? How do I submit to my D group leader at camp? Pastors, teachers, whatever authorities are in your life. Do you have a heart of submission? Because a true believer is submitted to the ultimate king. And that king is all about you submitting to those around you who he's put in charge. I see it in my children. I remember little Brenny Boo, Brennan Marie, my second kid. She's still causing me lots of heartache. I love this kid. 
When she was little, she had the chubby cheeks and just a little. And when she first started walking, we'd pull the car up into the driveway. She'd hop out and run straight for the street. I kid you not. Every time. I don't know if she thought there's a ball out there. I want to play. Where's my bike? I don't know what she was thinking. But she ran straight for the street. And I would go. We started to give her instruction. You cannot do this. And, but still, she would do it. And then we started to have some headway. Okay, we're getting somewhere. She'd get out of the car. She'd start running still. I'd say, Brennan! Right? I'd yell for her. And she would run top speed. If this top step is the edge of the street, she'd go. <laughs> and I'd see her looking back over the back this way. She's looking back over. And she'd see if she can test the limits. So she just like walks along the edge. <laughs> and then she looks back at that line. This girl is a rebel. <laughs> That's us. Don't we push the limits? I mean, it seems silly, a little kid. That's us. We want to convince God that we're so committed to him. But in reality, we're rebelling against him because we're not actually doing what he says. We're just going right up to the edge. Get away as, with as much as I can. And listen, it's dangerous, right? If my daughter does not do as I say in that situation, she could be hit by a car and die. I know that's a heavy thought, but that's the reality. Same danger that we face when we don't come under Christ's rule and obey his commands. They're for our good. But now with Christ, eternity is in the balance. You want to know that you know that you know that you're in him. Come under his rule and obey his commands. How do you know that you're saved? What do you love? That's what we asked at the beginning. Do you have a humble perspective on yourself? Are you broken over your sin? Do you dependently obey God's word? Making it simple. Lastly, trials. And here's the question. When you go through a trial, does your faith stay intact? And this one can be tough, I would say, to evaluate when the Lord has not yet allowed you to go through some severe trials. And I'm not saying that because you're young, because actually there's, there's some of you who have experienced some significant trials. And oftentimes we see maturity in you because you've been through it. And if you're still hanging on, then you kind of have a sense that God's got you. In the Bible, this character Job that we read about in the book of Job, do you remember his response after God allows Satan to ravage his life, take away everything he held dear? Job says, the Lord gives and he takes away Blessed be the name of the Lord. The guy had lost everything. And that's what he was saying. I'd say that's a true faith in the heart of that person. God gives the grace we need to face the trials he allows. And and I would ask you, is there an amount of difficulty? Maybe that you've already experienced or that you experience now. Is there an amount of pain or even, I'll say, drama in your life? that will cause you to set aside your convictions, the things that God has called you to. 
Too often we watch high schoolers come through our ministry. You play church, you attend the meetings, you live basically moral, claim Christ, but the minute something ruffles your feathers, Christianity's out the window. Sadly, that's not a true believer. One of the best indicators that you've got the real stuff when it comes to your faith is how quick you go to the truth of God's word in the midst of those trials. So write down these awesome verses. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but what? The word of our God will stand forever. And then 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for approved, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You need the sword as you go into this life because the trials are coming if they haven't come already. We need those doctrinal ropes that tie us down tight. I think about ships when they get tied into the dock. And, and those ropes are like your doctrinal knowledge, your understanding of God's truth that's dug down deep into your mind and into your heart. So that when the storm comes, if you're tied into the, the dock, your boat ain't going nowhere. Those ropes are tight. But if they are loose, what happens? The boat gets rocked a little bit and there's a lot that goes on. And if your boat, if the ropes are just even loose like this and you've got this much space between the boat and the dock, what happens to that boat? In a storm, it just gets obliterated, right? It gets knocked back against the dock and then pulled out again and then back against the dock. Trials are coming. We live in a broken world. We live in a sad place. Take heart, we have hope in Christ. And when your truth, uh, sorry, when your mind is is tied in with the truth of those ropes that are going to hold your boat against the dock, you won't be shaken. And in that case, it won't be you holding yourself fast. It'll be God, his truth, his spirit holding you to him. So the challenges are basic there. Know God's word, read it, make time for it, memorize it, get it into your mind, take it with you when you go. It's basic, but are you doing those things? You need it. As I worked on this message this past Wednesday morning, I got a text from my sister letting me know that a friend of ours had just passed away after battling cancer. Yeah, it was a sad one. I I feel like lately I've been needing to get comfortable with sadness (laughs) because the world's broken. If you don't know that yet, then you got to know it, kid. I'm just kidding. (laughs) The world's broken. It's it's a sad place. And, And there's just death alone. If you live 90 years or you live 90 days, It's tough and it's difficult, but there's hope in Christ. And this friend of ours, only 36 years old, two-year battle of cancer. I went on Facebook to see my my bro, who's her husband, uh, not my actual brother, but a friend of mine. And I I looked at his posts and I looked at his pictures and I saw this picture of her at the end and it was just like, man. But his post just blew me away. It leveled me because he was just planting his flag in the truth of God's word. Now I know when he goes into the quiet of his room, he's going to scream into his pillow. That's what I would do. 
But when we hit that moment, when God truly has us and his truth is inside of us and his spirit strengthens us, then we can, like my friend, just say, I'm not going nowhere. I'm staying right here. In fact, I'm gonna cling even tighter to my God and his truth. You need it. I don't care how old you are. In this world, in this life, you need it. What was Jesus's attitude towards the greatest trial of his life? Hanging on the cross. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, it says, for the joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Does Jesus know physical pain? Does he know emotional hurt? Does he know injustice and slander and betrayal? You bet he does. Read your Bible. And far more, he knows the weight of the wrath of God for sin, our sin, taking that upon himself to purchase believers as it literally crushed him. And the Bible says it was his joy to endure it. Thanks, Tyler. We'll just be a couple minutes. So I know you're not Jesus, and you need to, as followers of Jesus, have some things that you can hold on to. You've got to be able to follow Jesus' example, though, in submitting to the Father's will and believing as you live the truth and promise of Romans 8.28, which says... God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. And that's the promise every believer has. Whatever difficulty you face, if you are in Christ, he is working that trial, that experience in your life for your greatest good and his glory. Now, to close, I've given you a list. (laughs) And it may be your inclination to say, okay, I got my list. So if I do this, or I feel this, or I have these things, then I'm good, right? Well, yes, I do want you to use this list and gain assurance. I mean, why else would I be preaching it, right? But I have to beg you to engage with this evaluation of your heart in the same way every one of us as believers have to do in this life. And you've got to just do a regular, prayerful, humble testing of yourself. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13.5. This is a great verse for those of us who struggle with doubt about our salvation. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. This is the simple but crucial question that we must answer. Is Christ in you? That's what we're asking. How do I know that I know that I know that I'm saved? Now, for you who know right now that this transformation hasn't taken place in your life, maybe you came as a visitor and you're very new to the gospel message and what Jesus has done, to live that perfect life, die on the cross and raise from the grave and he calls you to believe in him, repent of your sin, follow him. This is all new to you. Great, you know what to do. If this is the weekend that you hear this good news and your heart is just aching with a desire to know him, that will be the work of God. So rest assured, he's calling you. And the helpless sinner has nothing to say but 
Lord, save me. Forgive me and take me into your family and then give your life to him. But to the doubting Thomases and Thomasinas, I don't know how to say the other one. The Christians who grew up in church, to the believer who experiences the ups and downs, fighting for assurance. Look at the positive effort in that 2 Corinthians 13, 5 verse. It is a testing that may result in the discovery that you're not a believer, and that's okay, because then you'll know that you need to run to Christ. But it's also meant for the true believer to see when you do all those evaluations that you are in Christ. And then you know what you need to do when you find that? Rejoice! Live your life! Be joyful! Enjoy the riches of what it is to be in Christ. And don't overthink and think, oh, I just did this thing. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Don't do it. If you do the evaluation, you look at God's word and you say, yes, I love him. I love his commands. I'm humble about my sin. When I fail, I run back to him. When I'm in trials, I'm holding on to his truth. Okay. You've just discovered that Christ is in you. And Paul would say, and I would say, and your D group leaders would say, and probably your parents would say, rejoice. Enjoy this life in Christ. Okay? So you're in one of those two boats. And if you're struggling and you need to talk about, "Ah, I don't think I'm actually in Christ. I'm here. Your D group leader's there. But hopefully I'm not too scary. I'm here. Talk to me. I would love to show you scripture passages that you can go home, meditate on, and seek the Lord. Okay, let's pray. Are they all out there? Okay. Lord, we thank you so much that your word gives us uh, ropes to tie our boat in. And, And like my girls, when I take them boogie boarding, who feel so scared, we sometimes feel that scared that maybe we're not in you or maybe you're not gonna pull us through this thing. Oh, Lord, would you give us a confidence as we do this evaluation using your Bible to do that assessment of our heart. And if we find that we're not in you, Lord, draw us to salvation. Draw those in this room who don't know you to salvation in you. And then that forever salvation, once it's in us, oh, God, let us rejoice in what you've given us. We pray for the rest of camp. Pray that we would use our time wisely and bring you glory as we do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Good? Helpful? Okay. Great to be with you all.